Welcome to the I Remember When podcast, a show where I, Sean, sit down with my dad, Glenn, as he recounts his life stories of the last 60 years. G'day and welcome back to another episode of I Remember When. I'm Sean. And I'm Glenn. Uh, last episode we ended on... We were everywhere. Yeah, we were everywhere. We got carried away. We got carried away. We did. We, we really and started. We were talking, yeah. we were talking so, shit a lot. Yeah. So, look, it's been been about a week since we did that recording, yeah, that last correct. recording, and um, I've been doing, um, uploading all my, my photos to the internet, or to yes, my computer, and there's, there's a few photos in there that prompted a few things, but... Really, it's a bit hard to think what we did do and what we haven't done. Correct. It's, it's hard to <laughs> keep track of everything that we have covered yeah. off and what we haven't um, covered off. So, so we're probably we repeat, going to repeat stuff. If we repeat stuff, but usually if I do repeat it, there will be a sideline to it. That's anyhow. right. There's something else that's yeah. going to pop up from mm. it. So you've, you've said that you're interested in talking about people and staff at the yes. Apprentice School. I um, want to cover off mm. who you associated with at the school. You've already mentioned that Pete Moore was your best mate while you were down yeah. there. Um, I want to cover off more people like that because I know yep. there's people we haven't talked about yet. Yep. There's people we've mentioned who have only been a brief blip in yep. what we've talked yep. about but are also a massive part of the yep. story. And then I really want to get into your teachers and find out what they yep. were like. You've talked about yep. some people who were yep. really good mentors to yep. you. And I want to cover off that stuff as well. Yep. So I think, All right. well, do you want to talk about... We'll, we'll get started with some of the people in in the room, in my room, that... We shared. This, I think, is going to be more interesting for me because this yep. is a part that I I know people you've talked to, but I don't know people who are in your barracks yeah. with you. So, so I, I got to admit, I've been trying to do the, uh, a list of these people, and it's mm-hmm. because I was there for two years, and we had two different groups. In, oh, so in you my changed room. up after yeah, because, twelve months because or? of because of the uh, two intakes. Yep. We sh- we didn't have a building just for first years and a building for second years. Uh, we were mixed. Right. Um, so, okay. Um, the people oh, we had in my room in the first year, um, some of them were in the same room with me next year, but some weren't. And we had some juniors came in in my second year, and we were then the seniors. Right. Um, and this is this okay. is a big part of the whole system of the Army Apprentice School. Yeah. Juniors and seniors. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, oldest people being there, the youngest people there. You were a first year or you were a second year. Yep. And we had very little to do with the third years. The third years were, they sort of, like, there'll be a difference between years 10, 11, 12, 13, or years 10 and years 11 and 12, top of the year. They were there, you knew them and you spoke to them, but you you were separated. There was no sort of crossover between years, yeah. Um, In fact, we had a a third year apprentice was in one of the dongers. Again, the donger is the little room on the end of our building. We had a third year in there. We hardly ever saw him. Knew of him, hardly ever saw him. Huh. Any particular reason why? Or? Because they were electronics trade. Oh, that's right. The so, le- yeah, the electronics so were, guys were the yeah. nerdy ones. And who they, were the, yep. they did a three-year apprenticeship at the apprentice school and they became signals. They went to signals. Yeah. They were a little bit away from us. Okay, I'm going to pause off track now for a, for a tick because I'm curious to know. Being Having done an electronics degree myself, 
was there any particular reason that they did a three-year course rather than a two-year um, course like everybody else? Or I don't, I don't know enough about electronics to know how long the course is for electronics. But at the time, your your normal trades that we had were four-year apprenticeships, so that's what they were. They were four-year yeah. apprenticeships. Whereas electronics was not a normal apprenticeship. Electrician was, but electronics, electronics wasn't. That's so strange. So the electronics was a lot more geared around the army than civilian they had some civilian instructors but it was more geared around the army because those guys became army signals people yeah they become your they, intelligence officers they, and stuff. they yeah. did all the the radio communications work for the army. yeah and all that sort for of those stuff. that don't know too much about it the the radio network that existed at the time in the army was very 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 sophisticated and eavesdropping was not a thing it was how it worked <laughs> Yeah, right, okay. Um, I got done one time on an exercise. In, I was on night duty on the radio and I wasn't talking proper radio procedure. Ooh, yeah. We were way out in the middle of central Queensland and I got a reply from Townsville saying, using incorrect radio procedure, please cease and desist. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's highly monitored and it's... Yeah. Um, it's very sophisticated. I walked. I was in Darwin for a while, and I walked past a, a signals office up there, and it was a stinking hot day. And whoever he was was in on duty, and he had his door open, and I was just curious. I looked through the door, said, "Get out, mate! How are you going?" Smack, slammed the door slammed in the, the face. Door in, in your face, yeah. <laughs> in Perth, there was a signals office straight opposite the door to our guard room, and one morning I saw a, a, a corporal going into there, and I said, "Get out! How are you going? What's that?" Bang! Slammed the door. That's insane. Yeah. And then, so that would have been, what, in the 70s, 70s and 80s? 80s. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that it's any different now. It's still monitored and it's still... Oh, it's just, it's a lot more strict now. I've worked on RAF Base Williamtown and been allowed access into the secure intelligence room mm. to fix their photocopier. Uh, that's intense. Yeah. I had to go through so many checks and, and balances before they even thought about letting me in. Yep. And then while I was in there, they had a guard on me the entire time. I don't know if he was armed. I'm assuming he probably would have been. Uh, they, but they, they pretend to be. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> they pretend yeah, that's exactly right. But it's the, pretty the, intense. The girl in... Uh, the corporal in um, Perth that slammed the door on my face when I was still out, mm-hmm. I knew her husband. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, I, I'm married to her. And he said, I don't know what she does. Yep. Yeah. That's, so yeah. I understand Signals is the intelligence yeah. department and yeah. it's very secure yeah. and they are pretty yeah. uptight about it. Yeah. But then, so that's in the, the 70s and 80s. Yeah. One of the guys at work, uh, who is a lot older than me, he was doing work on the RAF base during the opening stages of the Gulf War. And he said they delivered a photocopier in there and just wandered past one of the uh, rooms that they were going th- past yeah. to deliver this photocopier for. And it was open and it was just TV screens, wall to wall, of the war in the Middle East. It's and they stood there for twenty minutes and watched it all going on live. Yeah, but you were he was probably wearing a tag from uh, CBS News. <laughs> I mean he was well, delivering a photocopier. <laughs> in 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 the modern warfare, you you got guys standing there shooting at people with a friggin' rifle and a guy alongside you with a video camera yeah, that's true. doing it for world news. Yeah. That fuck? is true. That's pretty insane. War correspondence yeah. is wild. Yeah. People's People's uh, need for information is just 
overboard and it's yeah. the people that want to provide it to them are overboard as well Jesus Christ they're pretty insane I mean you look at what's going on over in like, Israel and Palestine yeah, yeah. at the moment yep. the Gaza Strip and they've got there's, there's guys over there permanently stationed just to report on it yep. why yep. why are you accepting that that's insane <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not hear about it yeah it's, look it's happened now it's, it's now come to Australia we've got two two factions fighting in Australia now and it, yeah. it, they're, they're getting out of control yeah. Go back there and fight it over there. Fuck. So we got anyway, right yeah, off the track here. We've pulled so, ourselves okay. away. Wait, wait. So um, let's roll so it all the way back to... So um, yep. in... Like when we arrived, the first... When we first arrived there, in our hut, there was Pete Moore. Yep. Straight opposite me. And then there was Mick Passy from Queensland. There was Johnny Rayner was from Victoria. Beetle Bailey. It was, I think... From Victoria, I'm not too sure. Sure, I can't remember. Yeah, he was an Asian guy, but he was a he was a plumber, and his his nickname was Beetle Bailey. Odd nickname. And there's Crab McIntyre. <laughs> Crab Crab is was his nickname. Crab McIntyre. He was from New South Wales. I can't remember who else. But in, in in the first three weeks, we had spare bed spaces because the seniors hadn't come back from. Holidays. Oh, okay, they were still on holidays. So, so we yeah, had okay. a few spare spaces. And we've turned up to. This place, we don't know either. We don't know anybody. We don't know, yeah, don't know each who other they from are. Bar are. Don't know her from Bar Soap. So you have to start to engage straight away. Yeah, you have to. Right. You can't just ignore these people. These people you're living with yep. 24-7. So you have to start engaging with them. And you very quickly start to find out little things about them. But one thing you learn is don't pry. No. You let people volunteer the information. You don't pry into it. Now, a good example of this is Mick Passy was, I ended up spending more time with Mick Passy, I think, than any other one in the army over the, my army uh, career. Yep, so over the 12 years, yeah. It wasn't for about six years later, seven years later, I found out that he had a kid. Um, <laughs> I was, he had a kid when he arrived at the British school? Or no, he had a kid no, while no. he was in the army? No, he had a kid while he was in the army. One, I never thought that was Mick Passy. I never thought that he'd ever get him yep. attached and have a kid, but anyhow, he did. We were in the same room in Townsville and he came in and he had a package and he started to unwrap it and he took a box out of his wardrobe, out of his cupboard, and he put this stuff in there and I said, what you got there? And he said, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then later on I found out it was some coins and one of the coins that he bought, it went up in price by a couple of hundred dollars in the six weeks it took him to get it. Holy shit. It was a big coin and had a hole in the middle and it was from one of the islands, Pacific Islands. Yep. I said, do you collect coins? Oh, yeah. I said, oh, I didn't know that. And all this time, I said, how long have you been doing it? He said, oh, since I was old enough to buddy get pocket money. He said, my father started me doing it when I was a kid. Shit. And I was buying coins. There's just, so much money in yeah. coin collecting. And I said, so have you got a big coin? He said, well, I have a safe deposit box at the bank at home. Yeah, righto. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> so he, he had a huge coin collection and then he never knew that about him the whole time because uh, he didn't volunteer the information and no. I didn't ask him. No, that was really um, don't pry. And probably it was a good thing that I didn't know that he had bloody... Uh, yeah, quite a substantial amount of money's worth of coins, coins in his cupboard his just yeah. there and then, you know. Yeah. Far out. Yeah, there was lots of stuff. He used to have this scar across his shoulder and it was a fairly thick scar. 
and he never told us what it was and nobody ever asked. And it's, it's, it's not a case of being ignorant or don't care or anything else like that. It was just something you, you got that vibe for, that feeling for, that you just yeah. don't pry, don't ask questions and don't pry into people's lives. Be friendly with them, get to know them and everything else, but don't pry into their lives. You know? Yeah. And I suppose that's the difference between Pete Moore and, and somebody like Uncle Vince. Uncle Vince, I reckon you could tell... You, you him and I, because we grew up the way we did and together like we did, we knew a lot about each other. Yeah, I don't think there's too much you wouldn't know about Uncle yeah. Vince. It'd um, be the same with me and my best mate. Like, there's, there's not too much there's, I don't know about Cal, but... So that becomes then this trusting thing where you get uh, such a strong bond with these people that you trust them with stuff that you wouldn't normally tell anybody. Yeah. In the army, I guess it's like, Oh, you tell him and you tell everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, that type of thing. Beetle Bailey, the, I don't know anything about Beetle Bailey because he never ever told us anything about himself. Um, it's a very different relationship, isn't yeah, it? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's you, yeah, you, that's you knew weird. about their day to day stuff, but you didn't pry into their past. That was yep. their business, and if they wanted to know, they would tell you. Yep. Johnny Rayner was a really, really interesting case. We, I knew a bit about him. I knew he lived in Victoria. I knew he had this fascination with my motorbikes. Um, I knew a little bit about him, but he went on then to buy a motorbike and nearly killed himself. He's in hospital for six months. The first thing he did when he got out of hospital, he bought another motorbike and went straight back to hospital. <coughs> like in the same day, he bought Jesus. the motorbike and got sandwiched between two Fuck. semi-trailers and went back to hospital. Um, Christ. And because of that, we found out that he wasn't, he didn't have a father. His mother and father had uh, separated when he was a little kid. Yep. And his mother, she was constantly coming up from Victoria because the hospital had contacted her and said, yeah, don't yeah. think he's going to survive the night. <laughs> and she would have to come Fucking up from there because they didn't think he was going to survive. How would you be being his mother? <laughs> well, the last yeah. time I saw him was, um, I've got photos that we'll, we'll put one or two up. Um, on their site that I went to the last ever motorbike races at Bathurst. Yep. And I ran into him there. And here he was, he's just back out of hospital again after his second near-death incident on motorbikes and he's got a brand new BMW touring bike. (laughs) Fucking hell. Um, Some people are just destined to kill themselves, aren't they? I I never thought, the whole time I knew him down there, I never thought that he would be so enthusiastic about the motorbike. I knew he had an interest in him, but I didn't think he was the sort of person that his whole life would revolve around around motorbikes. Yeah. If he could live in a motorbike, I think he did. He probably (laughs) (laughs) did. Yeah. um, Then Pete Moore, uh, he was from Colac in Victoria, and I had a lot to do with him. And once we we separated, and he ended up becoming an officer, and I went off to be just a field engineer. Yep. I never had any contact with him for a long, long time, and I tried to get in touch with him. All the different things I tried, I could not find him. I didn't know where he was or anything. And then um, I thought, I know, I'll try his mother and father because every second week we used to drive out to Colton yeah, and stay out there. Yeah. So I looked up their address and I looked up their thing. I end up I found their phone number <clears throat> and I rang. And you know, his mother answered the phone, and the moment I answered, I said who it was. She burst into tears and she couldn't talk and put it over to her husband, Ron. And I spoke to Ron for a bit and he said, she's okay now, put it back, put me back on. And she's, oh, it's been so long. And she, was, she said, I've still got the clock hanging on the wall that you bought for us. 
Oh shit! Um, and she was over the moon, and she could, she just couldn't stop. And I was on the phone for ages talking to them. Or Pete's father, Ron, he's he's now gone. I couldn't find any record to say whether his mother's still alive or not. Um, but uh, they certainly don't live where they used to live in Colac. But they they thought heaps of me for yeah. You know, and we used to go out there every week, every second weekend. <clears throat> and Pete and I used to sleep in the. Yeah, you know, they they talk about your little granny flats and shit now. Yeah, there was a little room out the back. I reckon it would have been about eight foot square, and there was two bed, uh, two double bunks in there. Jesus. And Pete's eldest brother used to. That's where he slept all yeah. the time. And him, Pete, and I would sleep in there when we went out there. There was no room in the house. There was too many other kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah. Because I know you've said that you and Pete were, were very close and yeah. you had your issues yeah. and then once you become a sergeant yeah. and then you spoke with your padre, padre about yeah. about him when you guys graduated. Mm. So after you graduated, you went off to do your thing. And he I, went no, off to so do... when, we, when we left the Army Apprentice School, we went to the School of Military Engineering in Liverpool in Sydney yep. and we finished the next two years of our apprenticeship down there. At that time... Peter transformed. He did. He'd become a butterfly from a bloody witchy grub or something. Yep. <laughs> he completely transformed. He was he was a different person altogether, uh, and a lot of that would have been because of, I guess, trauma of the way he was treated. Um, because I wasn't the only one that ended up having problems with him. It turned out it was pretty widespread. Yeah. Right. He was. As in, within the army apprentice school. Yeah. This is just army apprentices. Because he was this sergeant and was only an army, and that was the problem. Was he was army apprentice? He wasn't a, a proper sergeant. He was just army, army apprentice sergeant. Yeah. And like I said, it was the babysitters. So they yeah, didn't have you, to do it. Yeah, it was, <clears> there was um, the the army the, the army ranks, and there was your apprentice, apprentice ranks. Rank, and yeah, yeah. Yep. And we and have think, discussed it on a previous episode. Yep. And I think um, we all got a bit annoyed that he did his job so well. Yeah. Right. That was okay. that was the issue. Wasn't it? Um, Oh, wasn't he did anything particularly wrong? It's just that he did his job too well as being an army apprentice, army apprentice sergeant, and he had to segregate himself. He had to be yeah, he a was sergeant. a sergeant. You guys were not. We weren't. Pete was the sort of guy. Everything he did, he, he did was a perfectionist. Yep. Yeah, he was into gliding, and he that's why he became an officer. He went off and did physics as a university course part time, so he could yeah, qualify. right, okay. You needed that as a qualification. He wanted to be a pilot in the army because of gliding. And Does the army have pilots? Yeah. Yeah, the army has their own pilots. Oh, there you go. They have aviation corps. Oh, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so everything he did was, he did, yeah. went overboard. Even as a carpenter, he everything he did was over the top. Um, he was a wood butcher and he shouldn't have been. He should have been a joiner. Our second year. Uh, our third <laughs> wood butcher? <laughs> that's what we were called. <clears throat> wood butcher. In yeah, your third right. and fourth year, you're in Sydney, and you were farmed out to a civilian builder. Yeah. We still had to live in the barracks as a group. Yeah. But most of us never seen each other... During the day. During the day. So we'd, we'd get up at various hours of the day to go to work, and then we'd be back in the afternoon. We'd sometimes get together at tea time, then uh, sometimes we might see each other that night, but... We had a lot more freedom. We didn't have curfews yeah. anymore. Yep. We were allowed to go and come and go as we pleased, but we had to maintain a bed space at the in at the, the barracks. barracks. Yep. So Pete Moore was 
got tied up with another group of civilian friends. Yeah, right, okay. So sometimes he didn't even come back from, yep. from work. He but just stayed out. He just had to come back. Of a, We had to sign in every day. Yeah. We sign in and out, except for uh, Fridays. We didn't have to sign in on a Friday afternoon because... Yep, it was Friday afternoon. Yeah, you off. didn't have to come back. But every morning, every morning you had to sign out to say where you were going to work because the yep. army staff still came out to the job sites and checked on you. To see yeah. how you're going. What you're yeah, doing. you're effectively yeah. doing an yeah. apprentice. Like you're doing an apprenticeship on site at this point. Yeah. So yeah. they still we'll, have to we'll check cover that you're that doing the right stuff in, our, in later section. Yeah, of course. But I'm I'm just trying to clarify what happened with Pete Moore. So Pete, Pete finished his apprenticeship and went straight to the army apprentice uh, to the officer cadet school. And then from the officer cadet school, we never saw him again until. We saw him in way, Towson way, way, getting out of the helicopter. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, t- uh, up at Rockhampton getting out of the helicopter. He's He went off. He actually didn't qualify as uh, aviation, and he ended up in oh, cor- in artillery, and that's how the, like system the opposite. Works. Yeah, that's how the system works. He ended up as an artillery officer and then ended up the batman to a really, really, really senior army officer, and that was his career, you know. There's a lot more we can talk about him later on on that, but yeah, sort of lost track of Pete Moore when I finally contacted his mother and they told me his phone number. I rang him and he was actually living in the Sunshine Coast. He was still in the army, but he was living in the oh. Sunshine Coast and he was on uh, extended leave for a while. And he was. So friend- this was long after you yeah, were out yeah, of the yeah, army. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. It was a long time after I was out. Um, he was really friendly, and we agreed to get together and, and everything else, and then I never heard anything from him. Then I tried contacting him again. I couldn't get hold of him. Didn't want to. Next thing, I, I, doing, I was doing a job for a guy who was still in the Army, in artillery, and he knew him. And he said, oh, he said, so you don't know? And I said, nah. And he went in, he came back with a, uh, one of the magazines that they have for the, yeah. for the call, and there was a, oh, shit, page and a half, two-page story. About his life and how he died. Fuck. Yeah, he he, he died. Um, it never said how he died, and I'm a bit dubious about how he died. But this guy that I was talking to, he said, "Look, I don't know enough about it." And then, Fuck, of course, I tried. I couldn't. I couldn't get. A, couldn't get hold of his, um, his parents. His parents. Then I don't know what happened. I don't know where he's. I know he's got a wife and a couple of kids, and I don't know where they are. I last I I could find out was they're in Canberra somewhere. I think, but. I only ever met Debbie once, a long, long, long time ago. So Pete Far was out. Pete was a real womanizer. He was he was very, very good with the women, but he had the most incredible girlfriend in Colac, and we'll come back again too about that bit. We'll, we'll have a section. We'll just talk about what we did, yeah, relating to Colac. Yep. Um, but. That family there, though, there was five girls in the family, and they had two dogs. One, uh, uh, two dogs, and I think they're both girl dogs. So oh there was Christ. only there was only Mister Russell was the only Poor male in the house. Mister Russell, fuck. Yeah. And Pete's girlfriend, one of those, one of his daughters, was a really nice girl. She was really, really good. And um, I don't think he did the dirty to her, but separation is the worst thing in the world. And yeah, they they parted their ways, and then he ended up meeting this. Um, girl that he married debbie but other than that he was in between he was doing all sorts of things <laughs> but yeah yeah so right, that okay. was pete um <laughs> yeah and and pete and i had because of this because of pete's nature 
and because of travelling to his family's yep. place every fortnight and everything, yeah, I knew a lot more about Pete than I did than Most any of the other ones. Yeah. Yep. And in the Army Apprentice School, we lived together 24-7. Yeah. So you had a lot more contact with these people and it was important that you didn't create a, a relationship where you could get yourself into trouble. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so, you, you spend so much time with these people yeah. that yeah, you you've got to always be amicable with them. Yeah, yeah you got to, you got to be out. You got to get on with them. And yeah. the worst worst thing you can do is know too many intimate details about these people. Yeah, because we're still only young kids, and things that young kids do are spiteful. Oh fuck yeah! And if you knew something about a, someone there that was you only knew, and something happened, yeah, just out of spite. You could tell somebody. You could tell somebody else, and, yeah. and cause lots of trouble. So it was. It was better that. Yeah. You just didn't know those sorts of things. Um, That's a very, very, very different relationship mm. to any relationship that I've ever experienced yep. with anybody. Like that's such but a. But you've never ever lived twenty four seven with anybody. That is correct. Yeah. Um, Again, it's just one of those things that you know very few people experience. In that sort of intensity, yes, people yeah. share bedrooms a lot. People, yeah. you know, like yeah, you can but, you can live with your mate in the house, rent a place, and it's still not as intense as living twenty four seven in the army pencil. No, it wouldn't be because so at if least you're living you, and working with the same people. Correct, you live with this person, you, you live, eat you with work them, with yeah. that person, you eat with yeah. the person, you yeah. play sports with this person. Like your entire life is with these people. Our, our dining room tables uh, used to seat ten. And usually it was your whole room. Yeah, I was going to say, it's convenient you didn't, the right number. You didn't necessarily go down and go, oh, I haven't room. sat with them before, I'm going to sit with them. Yeah. You did, but you didn't necessarily do yeah, that. Yeah, typically just the yeah. whole room sat down yeah. together. So our very first meal was lunch the first day we were there, and the guys I sat down at the table with there were the people that were in my room. Yeah. And it just started from there. Yeah. Later on, again, later on when we had less restrictions on us, Things changed. Yeah. Um, like in Sydney, we had less restrictions. Um, so you went to tea and you would just sit at any table anywhere. Yeah. When you get to Townsville and again, dining up there, you just found a seat. Yep. You, and that was the whole deal. You found a seat and sat somewhere and you didn't know. You yep. start talking to them. Yep. And get to know them. Um, and I mean, like the, the way you, you talked about your first dinner there at the Army Apprentice School with people in your room, that's. I had a very similar experience with uh, you know a couple of people I call very good friends today. Uh, when we started TAFE, our first day of TAFE, it was me and my best mate Cal uh, rocked up to our TAFE class, not knowing anybody else. We were there for work. That was all we were concerned about. Then it come to lunchtime and we we're like, well, shit, what do we do? Yeah. And it turned out that there was two other guys in the class that were photocopier technicians um, so we just went and talked to them, and now see, I see Lewis all the time. And a this lot is, less than I would this like. This is it. But... Is a mutual attraction. There's yeah. a mutual thing, and that's what we, as as people, as people tend to do, we gravitate to something that we're similar, yeah. similar to, and and radiate from there. We don't go, oh, you're a bank manager, and and I'm a buddy carpenter. I think I'll go and talk to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, the, the crossover yeah, of knowledge there yeah. is very little. When you when you say, "Oh, there's another carpenter," you're like, "Mate, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's right. Work going. And you've got something to talk about. That's right. That's, there's a, there's that's an initial conversation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, it, it can build that way. But again, I do I do know people that search out that type of thing. They search for someone that's completely different, just so they can talk and find out. Nah, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you can um, have that. Yeah. 
Um, but again, yeah, like here I was. We I've, I've I've met Lewis, a good mate now, through similar interactions. But then again, you go off, or I left for that afternoon to go home. No, you were stuck with these people twenty four seven. Yeah, very very few people have that experience. No, uh, they don't, and I think. With all the support that we had at the Army of Press School, the, the, the character guidance we did yep. and, the, and the staff members, we had, the staff members, despite everything else, they were very good for us. They 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 brought us up hard and fast. Yep. We weren't mollycoddled. We weren't... I suppose you can't we even oh, look, you know, grow up pretty quick in that yeah, sort of instance. Yeah. Even within ourselves, we would support each other. Yeah. If, if, someone, had a, if someone had a bloody serious problem at home, not, like Pete Moore... His youngest brother, he was four, and he had a medical turn. And in the guidance for compassionate leave, it's for immediate family only. Yeah. So that meant your mother and father. It didn't mean yeah, your brother siblings and aren't considered immediate family, which is um, wild. Yeah. But Pete Moore's grandmother was sick. She wasn't included no. in an immediate family. Your immediate no. family was your mother and Parents, father, and that's it. So. When his brother got sick, he was he was really worried because it wasn't a good diagnosis. It was I think yep. he had a heart problem Shit. at four year old. So we were there four. for him. We were, we, we were there to support him. Yeah. Even their sergeant, he apologised. He said, "Look, I, I, we can't do anything about it. Yeah, there's it's, nothing we do about it. It is what it is." Yeah. But. Later on, when I was in Townsville and Marie was killed in a car accident, they let me do anything I wanted. Why the difference? Because when we we're down there, we were minors. Yeah, right, okay. They were in charge of us. In in Sydney, we had bloody a sergeant say, okay, so and so, uh, apparently your grandmother's died. Oh, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> and he goes, oh, no. he goes, now, by my count, that's about number eight. <laughs> Okay, so this guy had used the excuse just a couple, yeah, maybe yeah. one or two many times. Yes. So fucking hell. This is this is part of the part of the problem, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair it's enough. Just, we're having a bloody parade, and he said, "Apparently, your grandmother's died." <laughs> but Fuck. by my count, this is about number eight. Number eight. Yeah, grandmother number eight. <laughs> fucking hell. I had, I had the opposite situation I, with my grandmother. <laughs> Every time I got a message, let's say, your grandmother's not well, she's dying. I said, oh, just ring me when she's dead. <laughs> well, she kept coming back. <laughs> my, my buddy, my uncle, um, dad's sister's husband, yeah, he would have to do all the funeral arrangements. And the funeral director would go, oh, are we ready again, are we? Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, right. She wasn't letting go. It was, it was that many occasions. I was in Townsville living in the caravan park, and Vince was up there visiting. Yep. And, oh, Wally, down in the caravan park, is bashing on the door of the caravan one morning, and we had a hangover. <laughs> and going, Dazzy, Dazzy, I got a message on the phone from you. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, I got a message. It's your grandmother. Yeah, yeah, She's died. Yeah, mate, she does it all the time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. She'll come back. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. She'll come back. Yeah, don't worry, mate. She does it all the time. Fucking hell. Far out. Yeah, so life in a, in that type of situation, you can find in it. Yeah. I, I talk about you get into the habit of doing that. Yeah. It's like being in jail. Yep. 
But I don't think in jail it's even as bad. Uh, not, I'm not going to say bad. It's not the same being in jail because you're locked in a cell Your with cell one or two. Maybe, yeah. 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 And then you get to see others. But it's it's not the same cons- stuck together type thing as where you were. Institutionalised. You become institutionalised. Yeah, correct. And That's a good word for it. And I still am. I, I'm still institutionalised. Yes. And I'm not... I'm not unhappy with it. I'm not bloody trying to avoid it. Right? Yeah, institutionalisation isn't a derogatory term no, necessarily. It's, like it, pretty much it becomes your routine. It's yeah. it's just how you live. It's the same as somebody that's a drug addict. They're institutionalised, really. They're drug addicts. They do the same thing. That's yep. their routine. I know some people that have come out of jail and been quite a while, and they're still institutionalised. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't accept it. No. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, you are. You certainly are. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of people who come out of prison who, who can't deal with not being in prison. And they're that yeah. institutionalised that they can't deal with and it and they go back in. And that those people that are pine for it is because the, pretty much their life was controlled for them. Everything was done for them. Yeah. And they come out and they've got to start doing it themselves and they don't want to. Well, not only that, but you also got to look at... Could you imagine having been in prison between the years of 2004... To 2007. Now that's only three years. three years, but in that three years, you went from having well, the first iPhone was released in that oh, period of yeah. time. That Facebook went gangbusters. Like all, how much changed in that yeah. three year period while you were in prison um, and you weren't involved in any of it to come yeah. out of prison after yeah. that and then go, well, fuck, the world's completely yeah. different. Could you imagine having been somebody put in prison before 9/11? Yep, and then coming out. What's, what's the movie where the guy goes to jail and he's the accountant and he does all that dealings with the money? Oh, uh, Law Abiding Citizen? No, 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 no. No? It's an old one. But the, the oldest prisoner in there finally gets released and he ends up hangs himself because when he gets out, yeah. he can't live in he the outside live. world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Institutionalisation can be a bad thing, but what we're getting at here is that it's, in your case, it is not. It becomes... Uh, things like... House proud. I'm, I, I'm house proud. I do yes. housework because we we got a bashed into us. <laughs> we, we, here's a here's a scenario. We used to have lots of um, room inspections all yes. the time. They were on all the time. Well, there was a new sergeant came along, and uh, he wasn't he wasn't in our platoon. But it wasn't unusual for them to swap around and go and do room inspections in other rooms. Oh, uh, other okay. things, you know. Well, he came and he was doing room inspections in our our building. And he's come along and he goes, huh, smart asses, eh? You think you know what's going on? I'm like, mm. Yes. He went to the light switch and turned the light switch on and wiped his finger across the top. Then he went to a, a pillowcase. Now, pillowcases were white and they were spotless yeah. and clean. And he put his finger over the top. Dirty or clean? Oh. And you go, oh, fuck. And you can't say dirty. No, of course not. So it's like, clean. No, that wrong. Dirty. <laughs> and it'll leave a white smart. Ah. It won't leave a mark on your white pillowcase because of the dust that was on the top on of the, the light top switch. Top of the light switch. Yeah. Um, well. So we had oh so many times we got told we had to come back and we'd work until things were spotless and we'd, and we'd 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 spend a whole night from five o'clock till midnight scrubbing the bathroom. Bar, until yeah. it was, until it was spotless. Something else we used to do after the apprenticeship was mess duties. I I did 
one of my usual things and complained about something. Um, yeah. And, and it come back to bite us on the arse. We all got punished instead of the ones oh. intended to. And we had to clean the whole mess until the woe caterer was satisfied it was clean. And that was that was horrendous. That one That'd be a we, huge job. That's, that's later on. <laughs> yeah, so... And then raking the pattern in the ground. Yeah, you said you used to rake yeah. a herringbone into yeah. it because you were smart about it and then you got yeah. done with that duty all yeah. the time. But but that was... That's that's institutionalised. Yeah. You, 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 it becomes something that you're paranoid about, nearly, that it's got to be clean. It's got to be clean. It's got to yep. be done right. It's got to be... It got to be it. Done right is a very yeah. important one yeah. done for right. you specifically mm. because when it comes to your work, you have always been a perfectionist about it and it is a case of it is done right. Yeah. Perfectionism is just one of those things that yeah. you really focus on, yeah. which isn't a bad thing, of course. But and again, that is... That's a part of what you are part of what we're taught at the apprentice school. Like part it, of it, doing this with you is is making me realise why. why you have been the way you have been. For it's really, really funny. Life, I, like, I, I guess a psychologist could sit down and listen to this and, and draw lots of conclusions. I mean, because psychologists when a fucking field day. By the time we get, by the time we finish this thing, people are going to realise how fucking mad I am. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty fucking insane because. I've got so many places I go to. Oh, yes. buddy, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a nut. I'm a rat bag. Oh, buddy, I'm yes. a, an antagonist. Um, I'm a shit stirrer. Yes. Uh, I just, I do, I go everywhere. You're all over the shop. I'm all over the shop. It's like I've got to go there and be better than someone else at yes. doing that. So if someone's a nut, I've got to be you a bigger be a nut. you got to be a bigger nut, um, yes. If, yeah. You do have a big one-upmanship complex, don't you? That's interesting. And that come from Vince too. Yes. Vince is part of it. Because Uncle Vince is also a very big, like, it was yeah. very big on one-upmanship. Yeah. Everything you so had to do was... So ever since I met him, every time we did something, we had to try and be better, be better at each other. Better. And I think... Again, another just big revelation that, yeah. yes, you and Uncle Vince were the reason that you're forever trying to beat each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huh. In the second year, we had another a, another guy in our room, buddy Billy Cleland. Billy Cleland was, he's actually, he's a good example of what I'm talking about where you don't pry into other people's business. Me, while I was in the apprentice school, I was thrifty. I, I saved everything because I had to, mostly because I was silly and I bought a car. When I bought the car, I had, I was in debt for the car. You had overheads that you had to I cover. I had overheads to cover, so my whole fortnightly pay was gone before I got it. Yeah. So... I then developed these other things like doing the, the, the shop run yeah. and every fortnight when we went to kayak, I used take to take three guys lift. with us and charge them yep. to, to take them out and bring them back. Yep. I found other ways to earn money to to supplement my income. Yeah, because right? um, you had to. I had to. You've got to pay for um, fuel, you've got to pay for rent, yep. you've got to pay for yeah. the payments on the car, yep. you've got to pay for... Yep. Like, that car literally ate up all of your yep. pay. And in hindsight, my mother told me not to buy a car and... Yeah, that's probably... Did you just right. admit that Nan was right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah. So, Billy Cleland was the opposite. Yeah. Billy Cleland couldn't wait to spend his pay and waste it. Ooh. Um, and I, I... It sort of... I was in a bed space straight opposite him. Um, now, back in the day, there was different clubs you could subscribe to. And yep. you pay a fixed amount of money and, and you get stuff. He was in a, a record club. Oh yeah, cool. Um, so Very he cool. was he was getting regular 
deliveries vinyls, of yeah. records and quite a few and he had heaps but he also was buying heaps of stuff from me when i was going into town to the shop so billy clown as far as i was concerned was wasting his money and one afternoon i i mentioned it to him i mentioned that i was concerned yeah, that he was wasting it, his yeah. money and everything else and billy was nice as hell about it and everything else he turned around and said dodgy it's my money i'll spend it any way i like don't fret He's not wrong. Yep. And this is what I'm saying about Yeah. You don't get too involved in no, the other you, people that you're yeah, living you with. You overstepped your mark by I overstepped my mark. Yeah. Um I will admit I've been guilty of it too. I tell people how to spend their money all the friggin' time. I'm yeah. the worst for it for yep. another mate, Nick Ma, and how he spends his money. I do yep. it all the time and I shouldn't. There's but there's, there's one thing in, in that in that situation that's a that's that's sort of like friendly advice. You're trying to help somebody that you think needs advice. Whereas when in the Army Parent School, there was no... Everybody was learning at the same rate. Yeah. We were all starting at the mm, same time. I still don't think there's a difference between what you were telling him is what I tell my yeah. mate. Like, oh, man. Know. Yeah, okay. So from that, uh, Billy and I never had a crossword. That was... Yeah. It, it, like he said, just, he was friendly he, about it. He just put it in a way that, yeah, don't fret. Yep. It's it's my money. I'll spend the way I want. Yep. Don't, don't panic about it. And he, he, he understood I was trying to do the right thing for him. Yeah. And it was all, all over and done with and all finished. You know? By the time he left there, he had the biggest record collection you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Jealous. But he was, no, he was cool. He, um, he was uh, fitter. He was doing fit of turn. Fit of turn, okay, yeah. cool. And he was a really good tradesman, and he was a really good guy. He's he was really good, and he was he was the year below you though, wasn't no, he? No, no, no. He, oh, he was the same year. He was the same year. Oh, he moved okay, into right. our room for some reason. Okay, um, and he was the same year. But yeah, he was, and and that, he I only read a couple of weeks back. And he's died too now. Yeah, yeah, um, right. So they they're pretty much the guys I can remember out of my room. Yep. Other guys in our in our platoon. Yep. Was the turd burglar. Yes. <laughs> Pete, Pete, again, none of this prying shit. The only time we found out about Pete's family and stuff was a okay, graduation. Pete Moore, Pete. Pete Ozels. Ozels, yep. When his family came across from Western Australia to um, graduation. graduation. Yep. And turned out you know, he, he, his mother was there, and he, but he had a stepfather. His stepfather, <laughs> I, I still don't know to this day whether he was or he wasn't, but he was definitely a car salesman. <laughs> He'd tell you anything. Yeah. He's the one that started me drinking. You're drinking, yeah, 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 that's right. He um, was the one who got you under the yeah. Bacardi and Coke. Yeah. And um, Pete had a sister. She was a lot younger. I remember, buddy, um, she took a shine to one of the guys. And I'm not talking about tiny, tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, just yeah. four or five years younger. Yep. Took a shine to one of these guys, and I, I remember it distinctly. Everybody was watching. He's given a 20 cents to, and said, when that's the price of a public phone call, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yep. When that's the price. Because, yep, he was bang on. It would have been a couple of years, yeah, and 20 cents would have been, been the standard. the price of the phone call. Far out. That's pretty funny. Another one, uh, and again, only not long ago I read about it, he's died too, was a guy, his name was Brett William Scott Harris. 
Oh, okay. This is the name I know very yeah. well. He's dead. Yeah. Brett was he, was... he was from Queensland, and his father was a stud police dog. <laughs> oh, and a butcher. <laughs> so... I am still very confused about why his father was a stud police dog. That was, but that was Brett. Brett was Brett was a funny bugger. He was the one that played hockey. He was the yeah, one that he was used to plant mice up against a wall yeah. with a hockey stick. He was now. your mouse yeah. hunter. Um, a really, really good tradesman. He he turned out to be an excellent tradesman. What did he do? He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. Yeah, he okay. ended up being an excellent tradesman. He was probably one of the best tradesmen we we had in our year. Did you? Yeah. Did you come across him after the Army Apprenticeship? No, never no. ever saw him again after wow. the Army Apprenticeship. I don't know where he went or, or what. And remember that our apprenticeship was four years, but we had to sign on for ten for nine for years. nine years afterwards, yeah. No, no, just oh, nine okay. years in total. So there was another five years. At, uh, so that's, yeah, okay. how, that's how diverse the, far, the Army becomes after our apprenticeship. Yeah. We never saw him for five years. Yeah, shit. So I don't know if he stayed in the Army or got out of the Army. I don't know what he did. Um, but... I remember he got into an argument with Pete Moore one day. Uh oh. And again, this is this time when Pete Moore was a sergeant. And Brett was dancing around and jabbing with his left hand. Yeah. His right hand was clenched and Pete behind his shoulder. Keyed up, ready <laughs> to go. He just. Holy he, shit. He was just dancing around, poking with his left hand. With his Waiting right hand for cocked. Pete to fucking <laughs> ready to let relent. Me. Yeah. And, we all maintain that if he had let that go, Pete Moore wouldn't know what year he was in. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I don't even, I can't remember how this buddy, his father's a stud police dog came up, but he, he, he just came out with it. And these are the sorts of things you come out with all the time, yeah? Oh, yeah, my. So he come up with it? Yeah, he oh, come out with it. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, he just come out with, oh, yeah, my father's a stud police dog. <laughs> yeah, right, no worries. Oh, and a butcher. And a butcher. <laughs> now, there was a movie with Henry Winkler in it. He said... I always wanted to be a fireman. I always wanted to be a boxer or a fireman. And I think that's where he got that from. Yeah, right. That was okay. a movie that we'd watch, we would have watched down there yeah. then. And I think that's where he came up with that. He's just yep. come out with his version of it. But yeah, yep. his, his father's a stud police dog or, or a butcher. You're right, Because he was a big lad, wasn't he? He was a real, um, how you put it, we used to knock him down all the time. He was, he was tall, he was solid, not fat, and he used to slouch along. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, country, oh, country type. Yeah, thing, he's you know? a proper oh, country boy. Proper country farmer, you know. Another guy that was in our class more so than in our room, he was in a different company, was uh, Strop Smith from Tasmania. and Another name I recognise, yeah. yep. Yeah. Every morning too and every break that we got at trade, there was always competitions to play to see who was going to play in games of um 500 playing yeah, canasta five oh okay right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cards um, right yeah cards playing cards and strop smith was the best in the world he was the he yeah was right the, okay he was i've never known anyone like he was almost like he was being a magician playing cards he would bid one suit and win on a completely different suit with a partner and everything. He he was just unbelievable again. And I still to this day don't know how he did it. But he had a pack of cards. That was his pack of cards. Yeah, right. I see. And he was a big card player, obviously. Yep. Yeah. And when we finished, because he's Tasmania. <laughs> no, nothing else to <laughs> do. When we finished there, 
our head teacher asked for that pack of cards and he got a bloody big long two and a half inch clout and he nailed it through the pack and into one of the timber beams in their classroom and he said that'll stay there forever wow what a yeah. jerk <laughs> no 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 stop was all for it stop was yeah, great right, okay, that was cool. a monument to him yeah yeah obviously yeah that pack but... of cards is nailed to the to the workshop room and it stayed there. Yeah, stayed there. Yeah, yeah righto. Yeah. I wonder what happened to it after it. Oh, who after knows? The preschool got shut down. Oh, that just got demolished and nobody understood why well, it was there. But yeah, nobody would have known what it was for. They would just yeah. send it there and wouldn't know what it was. Yeah. I'm all for like monuments like that. That's a very cool idea. But there's got to be some way of recognizing what it's about. Oh, look, it wasn't that big. It's not a it big deal. No, it no, was no, only no, important like, to us that knew what that it was. knew what it was. Yeah, I know. It's, but to like, anyone else who pack cards, oh yeah, they used to play cards every every morning tea or whatever. Yeah, it means nothing to anybody. It's, no, you're right. You have to be there to witness it. Same as the nails in the tree. People yeah. knew the tree tree fell down, but nobody ever knew the story the behind story it. Why the tree fell down? And when they did learn it, it's, it's it's not really that that significant. The thing. No, to you're right. Else other than someone the that understands that, what it. Correct. Are. No, I understand that. No, no. I, I just mean even right. the fact we, that you knew that he put a, a twenty five kilos of nails into a tree nobody understands why you put it in there unless you've nailed nails in correct I fully fully understand that side of things it's just like we when we were in high school in year 11 and 12 a group of guys from my year decided that we were all going to chip in and buy ourselves a really good soccer ball so we could play soccer over the lunch period Mm. because we were sick and tired of having to go down to the PE room and grab one all the time so we bought one of the world cup edition soccer balls it cost us a fucking fortune I don't know why we had to buy that one but that's the one we bought and we all chipped in for it and at the end of year 12 because we'd all chipped in for it we didn't know who to give it to yep so we decided to leave it to the next year group yep and we passed it down to them yep and then they did the same thing so that's that then becomes a perpetual trophy or a a whatever it gets better the second year that got it were a menace and they put it through a class window. Mm. And one of the teachers, a very good teacher, Mr. Cowling, confiscated it and said, that's it. You've broken a school property. Like, it's done. You can't be kicking around the, the, the quadrangle anymore. And he hung on to it. And at the end of the year, he gifted it to a kid. Or he, um, he actually put it on a plaque and mounted it. And it went to one of the kids that he had deemed the most nuisance kid in the year. <laughs> and that was given out at the year 12 formal. Yep. And then the year later, he passed away. Yeah, the Missed, teacher. The teacher. Yeah, the teacher passed away. He, he, yep. he passed away from pancreatic cancer. And one of the other teachers, Miss Cross, brilliant English teacher, she continued giving it out to the kid that was deemed the mo- it was a, a class a year group vote mm. the biggest nuisance got this ball yeah and that's still a, an award that he's handed out to the, that was that was 11 years ago now yeah that that happened that award is still handed out by miss cross every year at the year 12 graduate yeah. at the fair year enough. 12 formal fair enough um, cookie and his award cookie and his award from scouts yes and yeah, like it, that—that's what I mean. Like it, it. Yeah, they they just. He nailed the, the 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 pack of cards to the wall in memory of somebody specific, and then it was forgotten about after that. Yeah, like you know. Yeah. Well, the teacher was still there. Yeah, and the teacher and would have remembered it. The, the the teacher would pass that on, telling other classes. That's yeah. what it was for. That's what it would have been no, about. Yeah, that's correct. what it was. 
we had um, two civilian machinists worked in the machine shop there that machined up timber for us. We didn't go and buy pre-made timber. We bought bulk timber and yep. the machinists made yeah, it you up had to, that, yep. for all the projects we did, all the things we did. And one of them was in particular was a, a turner. He, he turned stuff on lathes. Yep. And he had this thing that he turned up that looked like, just looked like a cotton reel or a, or a spool that you wanted yep. to until he shined the light on it in the right direction, and it was a man in a top hat with a fat. <laughs> <laughs> now, he turned that on a lathe. Yeah, he turned it on a lathe. Now, nobody knows anything about that thing unless they were actually shown... How it worked, yeah. ...with the light on it at the right angle. Yep. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> and those things used to be laying around everywhere. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> he turned that on a lathe. That's very yeah. impressive. So yeah. it was the shadow that... It was the shadow. That was important. The, the piece of timber looked like just something just that had turned up on spool. a yeah, regular type of spool of some sort. I wonder how they did it. Oh, it was very That's good. very clever. That's yeah. a very skilled mm-hmm. tradesperson. Yeah, it was very good. Um, but no, see, that was something that he was taught as an apprentice and passed yeah. on. That was yeah. our head teacher. He did a five-year apprenticeship in carpentry. Fuck. And when he did his apprenticeship in a five-year apprenticeship, they covered everything from glazing and they did everything. That's interesting. I yeah. wonder why they covered off so much, and then more importantly, why they cut back. Well, they're still cutting back now. When yeah, you're I'm doing a carpentry apprenticeship now, you're either a, a framer or a, a fix out, or yeah, you're a nail gun jockey. You're or now, you're, you're now yeah, you specify. Yeah, you you're do not actually things, a and it's, carpenter. It's it, you're not a be or do or everything. And there's there's pros and cons. You mean glazing, as in like window, like fitting so windows? Yeah. So they would they would go and make the window and then yeah. cut and fit the glass. Fit the glass themselves. to it. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. he could glaze uh, two panes of glass at once. He could and go putty and, it up with the putty. He could putty up two windows at once. So you would have a ball of putty in each hand, be able to knead it and feed it and finish it into the, the into two separate window two panes. separate window panes at once. Then That's he would use cool. two putty knives. And go around. Wow. And finish him off with two putty knives. And when he does with a putty knife, it just goes around yeah. and the excess peels off. Peels behind off him. and falls away, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. And it was this is years and years after he'd done his apprenticeship, he could still do it. Cool. That's very impressive. Yeah. I like yeah, that. Uh, That's cool as hell. I, the reason he showed it, I think, was because he was so good at it. He was so good at it. He was showing off. He was showing off. He was absolutely showing off. He um it was something of a gambling not an addict, but um, savant. He his thing, I guess, was mass. He on the weekends he would do um, syndicates of betting on horses. He would come up with oh, combinations. Oh, okay, right, okay. So he would he would go through and study the horses and study all the all the maths for it from past wins, losers, and everything else, and come up with a set of numbers for a trifecta, for instance. That had the best possible mathematical odds of winning. Yeah, right. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, he had a method of, of his own of um, the the track conditions for yep. a, a factor, uh, a number factor to include. And it wasn't he was betting on the horses; he was Just using maths, doing the maths because he liked maths. Yeah, and he was the one that got us doing the geometry as well. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, it, <laughs> he when we. Had to do education, uh, do uh, trade studies on the at night time mm-hmm. when we go there. He would say, "Right, anyone wants to study, you're over there. Anyone wants to talk to me about numbers, over it." <laughs> oh, okay, right. <laughs> and yeah. he would he would conduct a lesson for two hours on how to do these numbers and what he was doing. And um, 
he said, okay, so here's the deal. He said, I need $22,500 and I'll guarantee I'll win Lotto. And he said, I've worked out a combination of numbers that are the best possible combinations of numbers, but it'll cost me $7,500 a week to put them on, but I'm guaranteed to win it in three weeks. What? <laughs> yeah. And everyone's going, yeah, right, $22,500. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. And he said, yeah, no. Like, that was... Seven and a half grand was the price of a new car. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he's, he'd already put his test to the theory, and it, work, it was working, but he didn't have the money. How do you mathematically... He, he covered the maximum number of numbers. Oh, of course. He, yeah. He was covering like 30 out of 44 numbers or something. But in his combinations, yeah. he covered every number... In the com in, in yep. possible so which guaranteed he would win it. At you guaranteed he would win it at, at least once every three weeks. Um, yeah, but if you drop twenty, I suppose what what are you winning at the time? You know, yeah. the lotto's going yeah, off. Yeah. Well, for us that would have been a year's income, nearly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that was that was what he used to do, and and he 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 bought his wife a brand new car and just brought home parked in the driveway and said, "Stop complaining, call me a gambler." <laughs> He said, right. what, what I win just paid for that car. Okay. <laughs> and that was, yep. that was a it's case where he, he wasn't a gambler. Um, he was a mathematician that... Um, Who used his mathematical used skills to, mm. to gamble. Yeah. Yes, but um, it's no different to counting cards. Yep. Counting cards is... is mathematics. Actually, it's just mathematics. I and I think that's, that's how Strop played yeah. 500. Canasta, yeah. Just counting numbers. He could count yep. the cards and he was damn good at it. Yep. Strop... When we got to Sydney, Drop bought Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell yep. album. And he was at one end of the building in his room, and the shower block was at the other end of the building, and he'd put it on in his room so he could hear, hear it in, it in the, the shower. shower. Oh, <laughs> shit. Everybody in the compound Everybody had to listen to it. Yeah. Um, and he, 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 was a, he was a big, strong boy. And nobody arguing, but you didn't anyway, because he was just such a great guy. He was just yep. a really, really great guy. And you go, fuck's sakes, turn that fucking thing down, Strop. Why don't you like meatloaf? <laughs> <laughs> not, not get fucked or yeah, do what no, I want or anything. No, no. What, no, you what's like the matter with meatloaf? <laughs> yeah. Fun fact about that uh, album, that Bad Out of Hell album, so many sold in Australia. Every person in Australia at the time had a copy including children. Probably, yes. Yeah. It the was number, extremely yeah. popular album. The number of copies that sold. And it was. It was a great album. It is a great and album, And then when yeah. he brought out the second one, it was a huge disappointment. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a bad album. It was, it was just not huge, as good as the first it one. It was so much less than the first yeah. one. Yeah. Yep. That sort of stuff went on all the time. Noise, you had to learn to live with. Yes. So when, when the senior class is graduating, they have a sell-off. And they sell off all their gear. They sell off all this stuff yep. that they want, right? And you didn't have a choice. You had to buy. Had to purchase something. <laughs> okay, righto. Um, forced acquisitions. Yeah, they, they were like forced acquisitions. And one of our seniors had a uh, double album of Credence Clearwater Revival. Ooh. And it was a popular album. Yeah. Top. But it was on cassette and he didn't want it. Oh. So I had to buy that. And <laughs> I, 
I had a mini cassette, just a mono cassette player that I took yeah. with me when I joined. I ended up getting some headphones for it. So I'm laying in bed and I'm reading a book and I'm listening Listen, to this stuff yeah. on there because there's so much other noise going on here. And next thing I realise, all the guys are standing around my bed and I'm going, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> They've only two grabbed the blankets and pulled them up tight around my neck. Yeah. And the others had broom handles. And I fucking beat the fuck beat out, the out of here. Beat the shit out of here. What for? <laughs> it was the thing we used to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just something you do. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was antisocial, I said. <laughs> you were being antisocial, so they beat the living fuck out of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that was just games that we did all the time. They're not games! They're not games all the time. Oh, my God. Crab McIntyre, but he used to sneak out of the room all the time after lights out. And buddy, um, he'd come back. But he was he was going off. Buddy, they were doing all sorts of things they shouldn't have been doing with other guys in you. Anyhow, um, we decided we'd turn his bed space upside down. <laughs> upside, okay. Upside down, as in just everything was upside down on the. Or did you actually go to the effort? We down? hung everything from. Yeah, the excellent. It was completely upside down. Excellent. We even strung the mat so the mat was hanging upside down. <laughs> Um, turned his lockers upside down, but yep. we didn't hang them for the didn't cell. They just sat on yep. the floor upside down. And he's come in, and it's, it's dark inside because there's lights around yes. there. And he's come running down, and he's jumped on his bed. Excellent. Yeah, that took us. That took us a, about. That would have fucking ages. Oh, it took us about an hour to do it, but he had the bed. One of the problems he had these beds. They were a, a sprung steel frame. Yep. And on the end, they had tapered round pegs that fitted into the slots on the bed heads. Oh, to hold it all together. To hold yep. together. So when we turned the bed upside down, they were working upside down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we had to figure out how to hold it up there. Yeah. Which we, instead of holding the bed ends, yep. we had to hold the, bed, the frame bed frame up. And the bed ends. And the beds the... fell in, uh, hung yeah, into it. Yeah, that's very clever. And then we had to make the mattress and the blankets stay, stay on the bed well. upside down. Yes. There's a lot of engineering went into that. That's what we did. Yeah. Now, one of the photos we will put up that hasn't gone up yet is um, me stuck up in the rafters in this place. Yes. And you'll get an idea of what the design of the place is like. So you'll see what it is. There wasn't a great deal to hang everything. No. Uh, I think we had two king trusses running through there that were uh, that were there. So there's just two booms that we could hang everything. You could hang everything <laughs> off. Far but, out. But using ingenuity and ropes and all sorts of things. How like did that, you end it up? It took forever getting it back down, though. <laughs> I can bet it did. I can bet it did. How did you end up stuck in that fucking truss? Uh, okay, they, so apart from having school uniform, having um, the army uniforms and our work uniform, yeah. the, our overalls and stuff like that, because we did education, we also had to have a school uniform. And because of Victorian uh, education's involvement, we had to have a school like uniform. So that was puff dress. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. And puff dress was spit polished shoes. The shoes had to be spit polished. Grey pants. Uh, I think white shirt. Yeah. Um, and a tie. Army apprentice school tie. Yep. That was one of the things I don't know what I've done with mine, but it's, it's specifically to the army apprentice school. And a, a jumper and a blazer. 
We had yep. a, we had a full blown uniform issued. We didn't have to buy it; it was issued just for just for education. Education. Wow. Well, when we had education study at night time, we had to do that in our rooms, but we had to get dressed in our uniform. Okay. Just to sit in our room and study, we had, had to get, to get in the uniform. <laughs> and they would come around and check and <laughs> make sure. Why? Yeah. So, <laughs> so dumb. They, Pete Moore and his obsession of doing things perfectly was trying to perfect a backward somersault. <laughs> many, many bruises and, and broken yep. bits. He eventually did perfect it and he could do it standing still. Cool. He could do a backward somersault from standstill. From a standstill. That's impressive. So, on the night that he was doing these things and everything, we were all doing our own stuff. Of course. (laughs) And that night, I got up and I was hanging by my backs and my knees on On the the rafter. Yeah. And the guys got me and they put me with my legs (laughs) in there and let me go. And I end up, I was wedged in there and I couldn't get out. <laughs> and they'd pulled your legs into the... No, thing. no, just my own weight. Oh, right, and I was, okay. I was stuck there and I couldn't uh, get out. And there's, you'll see there's a foot in the side of it. Yeah. There's a guy up there with me trying to, <laughs> trying to get me out. <laughs> I was up there for about three quarters of an hour. Holy shit. The <laughs> legs didn't go to sleep. Oh, I, was in, I couldn't walk right oh. down. <laughs> um, Holy crap. <laughs> Yeah, but he stuck up in the bloody rafters. That was funny. Another night we had trade study, and we've gone to trade study up the wing, up the trade wing. And Mr. Putt, our head teacher, he lived in Mornington. And we've gone, Oh, can you take us to the hamburger shop? Nope. We need you to take us to the hamburger shop and bring us back. Nope. Oh, come on. Won't take you long. Just drive in, drive out. Nope. Nope. No, he kept saying no, no. So we've gone out, he's unlocked his car, and we all hopped in. <laughs> Five of us have hopped into his car. <laughs> and he goes, I told you, we're going home, and that's it. He said, I'm not there. And he did. He drove to his house. <laughs> and then left you there. And, and we had to get out. <laughs> and in our buddy poof dress. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> we had to walk down to the hamburger shop because we weren't going back. Yeah, we weren't going to go, yep. And then we had to get home, and it's about seven k's. <laughs> Holy shit. There's <laughs> uh, uh, so only five of us, but he got home after lights out. We're in all sorts of shit. <laughs> I haven't bet you. Though. Holy cow. <laughs> the next day we said to John, we're going to get charged for AWOL. He said, told you. Yep. <laughs> told you. Told <laughs> you we're going to take you to this. Yeah, didn't care one bit. He used to drive an old Valiant that had push-button automatic. Down the right-hand side of the of the dash, near the door, there was the buttons and you used to push the buttons. Push-button automatic. Years. Yeah. That's very ahead of its time. No, no, that was that was, that was a very old car. It was an old car. He, he, he oh. bought, you know, he's, he's pride and joy. Yeah, um, right, okay. Yeah. Push-button um, automatics, like, yeah. that's... I think, okay. I, I don't know of any other car other than that Valiant that had the push-button automatic. It's becoming a thing nowadays. Yeah. That's what I mean. It was very ahead of its yeah. time, like... Well, it wasn't electronic. It was mechanical. Yeah, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Jesus, the... the yes, I put... That's and, a very complicated system. We had, we had Reggie pyjamas. We had issued pyjamas we had to wear. Fucking but hell. But nobody ever wore them. In no. fact, <laughs> I, never, I never wore pyjamas at all. I never wore anything at all. Many, um, <laughs> that explains a yeah. lot. Well, that well that didn't start till years later. That that habit, right? Um, back then, it was um, I just they were called poplin 
the material's called poplin. The, the pajamas, I didn't really like them, so I never used to wear them. Fair enough. I didn't have any others. Everybody had to be the same. Everything was the same, except for your civilian clothes. You do what you like with your civilian clothes. I know what I was going to tell them. At the end of the last one, drop bears. No, we covered drop bears. We covered the drop bears. We did cover drop bears, yes. And dropped on its own. Yeah. Because there's a photo we found the other day of us uh, having tea that that night before I went and dropped on him. We, were, we had a barbecue tea, so we were all sitting around. Okay, we'll having, upload that one then. Yeah, That's, having a barbecue yeah. tea. And no, we did cover off drop bears. In the background, you see how thick the bush was that I was in when I did the drop bear and fell out of the tree on the sergeant. <laughs> oh, well. How about we call that one there? Yep. We'll uh, pick back up next time and All right, well, get on to something else. Yeah. Cool. We'll have a little talk now and try and figure out what it is we get on to next. <laughs> <time. So laughs> That's it's, right. It's so diversified. All right, we're going to have a beer. It's mm. that time of the day. Yeah. So cheers. Thanks a lot. If you want to get in touch with us, we have an email address. It's irememberwhen at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to see the photos that we put up related to each episode, uh, it's on Instagram. It's irememberwhenpodcast on Instagram. Uh, you can see photos that relate to each episode. We've mentioned it a couple of times today. Uh, thanks very much. 